Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 178 of the podcast. It's the 29th of May, 2019, as I record this intro. And this week, Anna Brown joins me to answer listener questions. And I just want to take a moment to say, these Q&A episodes are not about us sharing the quote, right answers. What Anna and I are doing and love doing is digging into what might be laying underneath. So often, questions represent the symptoms of a challenge, not the underlying root cause. I feel like what we're doing is tilling the soil around the question. We're sharing our thoughts as fodder for your thoughts. If it happens to be your question, you know much more about the situation than what we can envision based on what was written. I encourage everyone to listen with an open and curious mind. Let the ideas shared bubble away in the back of your mind for a while. They might make a new connection, and then another. As a personal update this week, I had a lot of fun putting together a short video for my Patreon page. It's something I've kind of avoided ever since creating the page, uh, but I decided to finally take a stab at it. And I also took the opportunity to rewrite the About section. So maybe you're a newer listener and have been wondering, what is this Patreon thing she keeps mentioning? I'll put a link to the Patreon page in the show notes, and I'd love if you go check out the video. But in a nutshell, although distributing a podcast is free, creating and sharing the episodes is not. There are a myriad of expenses, including the software for editing the audio and video for each episode, the cost of hosting the ever-growing archive of episode audio files that the podcast players access, as well as the cost of podcast transcription. There's also the time involved. Each weekly episode typically takes around 10 hours to produce. So that's researching guests, developing questions, recording the call, editing the audio and video files, producing the transcript, and getting it all up on my website and ready to release each Thursday morning. So my wish is to keep the full podcast library freely available to anyone who's curious to learn more about unschooling. So no paywall and no sponsors. And this is how Patreon shines. Small amounts, even a dollar a month, definitely add up. And as a small token of my immense gratitude, you'll find some fun rewards at the different pledge levels. So desktop wallpapers, all my unschooling books, past and future, my audiobooks, a monthly unschooling bee, also known as an hour-long video chat, <laughs> and all patrons get access to the behind-the-scenes posts. Thank you so much for your support. It's really hard to express how much it means to me. Not only does it let me know you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it really is vital to helping me freely share this information and some inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. I truly could not do this without you. I am incredibly grateful. 
And I'd like to say a big welcome back this week to Tracy MB. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> so if you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And when you're there, be sure to check out my new video. And now let's dive into your questions with Anna. Welcome, I'm Pam Laricchia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I am joined by Anna Brown to answer some of your questions. Hi Anna. Hello. (laughs) It was really fun to gather up some of your questions and Anna's going to get us started. All right. So our first question is kind of around different personalities and households and that type of thing. So um, this mom is more of an introvert, I'd say. She's quiet, likes her quiet space. She aims for what she calls a minimalist house. Um, She finds her son to be more sociable and outgoing, and yet he talks about it being tiring to make new friends. Um, They're new to homeschooling, and the mom is trying to get him involved in things, and yet they live in the middle of the countryside and aren't easy opportunities to hang out with other kids. And she kind of boiled it down to, I guess the question is, how do I make a minimalistic, quiet home dynamic enough for a lively and curious, sociable 10-year-old? And and for this, I think what I want to start with is kind of one of the big paradigm shifts, I think, with unschooling is learning that we're all in this together, (laughs) you know, that we're all kind of on equal footing and that we all have desires and needs and and working those things out. So while me personally, I too also like a quiet orderly house. um, When I had young kids, that didn't always work. And there were four of us living in the house. We have two kids. Um, So I needed it to meet all of our needs. Like we needed a home that worked for all four of us. And, you know, I found ways in that time when they were younger to have my personal space orderly and also less um, sensory experiences because that can be tough for me. So I, in my personal space that I kind of carved out, I, I didn't have the TV, I didn't have radio or music. Um, in my personal space. But then we had other spaces that were full of creative energy and music and noises and things going on and a place where friends could gather. And also, you know, my husband needed his kind of personal space. He liked loud TV shows and he likes to work on his bike. And, you know, so we needed those kind of spaces that worked for all of us. So I think maybe that slight paradigm shift is helpful to, you know, as opposed to, I like a quiet, minimalistic house to what kind of house do we all need in order for, for this arrangement to work? Because it is very different, I think, when your kids are going to school, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think even that, that shift to instead of thinking of it as, as um, my house or even right. as a right. parents, it's like the bigger our house as a family, which doesn't mean we don't have our own spaces, right? And Absolutely. our own needs for for different things in, in particular spaces. So it's, it's more like figuring out, Oh, you know, what kind of area do you like? How can we meet those needs? And, Oh, I really like this. Even if it ends up being like a corner of a room or, exactly. or, you know, it doesn't have to be on a space. Exactly. And, and it doesn't need to be just the space itself. You know, there can be things like, like headphones. Maybe I'm wearing headphones with like, 
waterfalls in the background or rain in the background, you know, natural noises, um, you know, just in uh, inside that space, you know. So there's there's lots of ways to open things up for for just brainstorming. And you know what? That's so much fun. I, that's one thing we did, especially the first few years of unschooling was rearranging the house so much, right? Yes. Because yes. <laughs> we had, you know, what would be considered a formal dining room. Yeah. Of course, we didn't really need like it was, or maybe it was even like a sitting room. Was, I don't know what it was yeah. supposed to be, but it was not a room that we were using properly. <laughs> but it became a playroom and a kitchen set and the, you know, diner and a, then a, you know, a music room. And it it had all these. And so thinking, I love when I go to fellow unschoolers houses and the dining room has been converted into this really cool space, or they're using this in another way, or they've brought down, you know, beds into this one sleeping room, but then they have, you know, things going on. So yeah, definitely just open up all those possibilities because I think that's one of the gifts of, of this life that we had. And, and I am going to say this one story that is probably annoying to people with younger kids, but I just have to do it because we were, I was at a friend's house last weekend. Um, I went back to Charlotte to visit and her kids are still younger and it was a gathering with families. And so there was lots of kids and I'm, I'm actually going to get a little teary because so the kids were running around and it's that squealing girls and the boys running and the, this, and I really just, I caught my breath and I turned to a mom next to me whose kids are a little bit older too. And I was like, Oh my gosh, we don't have that noise in the house anymore because her girls grew up with my girls. So they're both, you know, twenties and off yeah. working and doing their thing. And when the four of them would get together, it was squeal fest and it passes so quickly, you know, so I'm grateful that we were in those moments and had that home where the kids were welcome and enjoyed and played because, oh my gosh, it's not, it's gone now. (laughs) And I love where we are. So I I love where we are, but still. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, no, it, that, that's such a wonderful point too. I know when I'm out and about and you see the little kids running around, it reminds you of, of that time. Um, there was a couple of things I wanted to mention too from, cause she was talking about living in the countryside, right. And not being too close to people. I know when we moved um, more rurally, that was something that I kind of, that was a little vow I made to myself at the time was that, okay, you know, one of the things that goes along with that is being willing to drive, um, yes. you know, and, and even, and sometimes you can get caught up, um, you know, okay, so they have friends and want them to visit, I'll drive, I'll drive them in and then they can drive them back. And you start to to feel put upon from other parents. But no, I would always remind myself that this was important to me and to my child. It didn't matter how important it was to the other child's family. You know, if I drove into town, picked up a friend, brought them back to our house where they had, you know, the stuff to play with, the space to play with, the okay to squeal, and then I would drive them back home. You know, I, I took that on as part of this is, this is our choice. When they get older, maybe this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing more driving. I'm going to be hanging out more in town while they're doing things, you know, but I also 
didn't take that on as, as a weight or as something I had to do because you could always make it fun. You know, I remember Lissy used to come with me for a while while um, Michael was in karate class and we'd go to the coffee shop next door, mm-hmm. you know, and spend the hour. That was a nice, a really fun hour where we got to just sit and chat and hang out or read. You know, we didn't have to talk or anything like that. Um, longer trips, we got into audiobooks over the time, over the years or, or maybe we were listening to their music. You know, there was always ways to, to make it fun for everyone involved, even if it involved extra driving. Yeah, we did a lot of driving too. Charlotte's a big city. And so to get to friends' houses and other things, it was just a lot of driving. And I found that when I had lots of, I was awesome, the driver. So I would go pick people up from all these different spots around town and then go to the event or whatever. Or bring them back to our house for a pool party or whatever. I did it all the time. And I loved the chatter with all the kids in the car was fun. And when it was just, you know, Raylan and I or Afton and I going somewhere, I that time in the car was also really nice. Like it's that side by side where you can kind of talk about things and it feels a little less pressure. And so I just again just tried to embrace that time and know that this is that phase of life where we are right now. And we, you know, where we lived, we needed to drive a little bit just because that's the way it was. Um, oh, and I thought of one other thing for this question before we move on. I know we've got a bunch. Um, I'm also thinking it might be helpful to realize that the son sounds to me like a social introvert. And there's just a slight difference in that that I think is important. Um, so a social introvert, because I have one, <laughs> loves to be around their friends, honestly would like to be around friends every day even. But it's not always easy to make new friends. And so that can feel hard and not just any person will do. Whereas, you know, my friends who are extroverts, just going to a group of random strangers is fun. They can chat and do and whatever. But if you're a social introvert, while you like being with people, you like being with people you know and have a connection to. So finding ways to connect in smaller groups, um, consistency help, so kind of seeing the same people so that they're, if they're slow to warm, they can then become familiar with those people. And, um, shared interests, you know, finding activities with shared interests or inviting people over to the house over a shared interest, that can help foster a connection in a child that maybe has a little bit harder time um, making those connections. So while she's seeing him as sociable and outgoing, it sounds to me because the way he's describing making friends that maybe he's that social introvert. So I just want to throw that out there for people to think about. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And and shared interests, was always has always worked for us as as a great opening connection right that that helps with conversations when you're even just doing things together the other piece to contemplate too is because he's most he's recently out of school i think it was three months or so she said um maybe he's enjoying some decompressing time yeah. Right. So, yes, maybe he might be, uh, you know, social and active and, and that kind of stuff. But also he might be wanting, you know, and she said she was already arranging him to meet up with existing current friends that he already had. So maybe that is enough for him right now. Maybe he is just decompressing as well. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that's that's the interesting thing. You just just take those little pieces and see how they they might apply. Okay, our second question is about a teen choosing to go to school. Uh, so mom is feeling quite lonely on her unschooling journey. They've been unschooling for seven years, although her husband's never been fully on board. But recently, her 13-year-old son mentioned that he'd like to try school, mainly to meet more peers. 
So now his dad and the whole extended family is freaking out over his writing and how he doesn't know the multiplication table and so on. And everyone's blaming mom for not teaching him over the years. Um, her question, though, is mainly uh, is about how to support him best right now and how to prepare him for school. And her concern is mainly around bullying. And now I wanted to say that I, I love that ultimately the question was around supporting her son, right? Because in the bigger picture, the rest of that stuff is just noise and fear, yeah. right? There, there's no, um, there's no value or information or anything helpful in that. And uh, definitely it's hard to hear, but you know, you can, it's that, not taking it on as weight, not taking it on as judgment, letting it wash over. Sure, that's their perspective and that's what they see right now and they can see what they see. But she's seeing her son, which I, I loved. So yeah. thank you very much for that. Um, and, and I think as you're thinking about how to support him moving to going to school, if he continues to want that choice, I think it's really helpful just to continue to support his choices. Um, so she mentioned he was doing some prep with math. Is, was that his choice? Is that something he wants to do? Does he, does he enjoy learning with her mom? She said her mom is, is helping him out with that. If so, that's cool. That's cool. You know, this is him making some choices and seeing what happens. Um, if he's not, if he's feeling pressure to do this stuff from maybe some of those outside voices saying, you're not going to fit in, you're not going to be able to do this, you need to do this, your grandmother knows this. If he's feeling that pressure, you don't need to go there with that, right? There's so many other ways that he can start playing around with math and curriculum, like so many ways, especially online now, etc. There, there's just so many other ways where he can choose to do that if that's something that he wants to do. He may not want to do a lot of prep. He can go and he can see where things are and, and he can pick things up along the way at that time, right? So there's no... He's been doing stuff that he finds interesting and enjoys, and he's been learning all that now, right, for all these years. So he's got a set of, of knowledge and understanding of the world that the kids in school don't have. So, I mean, if he wants to jump in and start um, learning from that perspective, that's okay, too. It doesn't nullify everything that he's learned so far in his life, right? right? You know, it's just different. So he'll be learning different things in there. It doesn't mean he's behind. I mean, that's that's the way all everyone's judging the situation, right? Because all of a sudden they're taking him and putting him in a situation where, yes, he looks behind compared to those people. But in, in his body of knowledge, you know, if you were to compare them other ways, they would be behind. It's just in the way you're looking at it. So continuing to follow his choices um, and not put that school power over him now, that judgment, you know, all that stuff does not need, certainly doesn't need to come home and it doesn't need to be on him now. And you don't even need to take it once he's there right? I mean, it doesn't really matter what his grades are, right? Is he getting out of the um, situation, what he's looking to get out of it, right? Um, so keeping keeping his choices and keeping your relationship strong with him so that when he does go and he does 
come across challenges, whether they're, you know, learn grade related, like learning related, what, what is it in math that he's trying to pick up? Or if they're relationships, bullying, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes in there, you want to have a nice, strong, solid, connected and trusting relationship with him so that he can talk to you about that stuff. So you guys can brainstorm what he might do, how he might deal with it, you know? So I think still keeping the ethos of unschooling, right? That Mm -hmm. choice, that support, that love, that trust. And you're just taking that into a new environment. Yeah. And I think what stood out for me too, that I think is worth examining is his reason for wanting to go back to school, which Mm -hmm. was peers. So friends, um, because, wow, are there a lot different ways to meet that need, you know, (laughs) that don't involve all of these other pieces. And she also mentioned that he had been bullied before. And I think that kind of raised the mama bear in me a little bit like, "Hmm, okay, like I wouldn't want to put my child back in a situation um, where that can happen again. And schools can be tough, you know, especially if you have differences, which she described and some different things. And, you know, I think, Again, the focus, like Pam talked about, you know, being on your son and what he's looking for and how can you meet that need because there are so many ways to meet the need. And and really, a school would probably say, this isn't the place to come to make friends. You know, you're here to learn and do. And if he's wanting to learn, then we can learn in different ways also. So, you know, I think maybe just stepping back and peeling back those layers just a little bit to see. And, you know, for the family, I would just express and try to calm them that those things can be learned. And like Pam said, he's been learning all kinds of things all these 13 years. So you have massive examples, I'm sure, of all the skills and things that he's learned. Learning those few pieces that they're talking about, he can do that. But protecting who he is and kind of fostering that love and connection, that that's your goal. And I think maybe there's a way to communicate that to your family so that they're seen. Because my guess is they love him and are crazy about him right now. And I think they would want to protect that too. So those things will improve. But, you know, make sure that you are protecting who he is and and what he's looking for and talking to him and having those conversations. So that was kind of what jumped out for me. Yeah, yeah. And and I find too, like, you know, I was I was talking about um making sure he still feel like he has choices, right? Not that he said, I think I want to go to school and then all of a sudden all this stuff came on top. Well then you have to do the XYZ and then ABC. You know what I mean? (laughs) So if you're Supporting those choices and making sure that connection um, and conversations are ongoing. That's exactly where I imagine things might go. Like you were talking about, like, so it, it continues to be conversations about why they want to go, what they want to get out of it, what are their needs, what are other ways. Those when when choice is still there and and conversation and connection is strong, you know, things things morph and change, don't they? Right. Mm -hmm. They do so much when it's like, because, uh, you know, even I think, especially when it comes to school, because school seems to be the answer for so many things conventionally, right? (laughs) Like I want more friends. I want to get good grades. I want, I want to play football, you know, whatever it is. So often the first answer we jump to is school, right? Just because it's ingrained, you know, and even in our children, because they they see it everywhere. Friends make comments, friends go to school, TV shows, you know, everything. It seems to kind of be the answer. 
So when you keep the choice and the connection strong, you dive deeper into that. Just naturally, they'll just keep thinking about it because it's their choice and they'll start thinking, well, you know, is that the best way for me to do that? Are there other ways that I can try? You know, that that whole piece, I think, often comes up when that's why the choice piece is so important, right? Because they can change their minds. If they feel and, and like they'll feel heard and supported, you yeah. know, as you're asking those questions, as you're listening, as you're brainstorming with them, they'll feel heard and supported versus again, we don't know how this played out, but this, I think maybe I should go back to school to meet some friends. And then suddenly the family swoops in yeah. and we're doing curriculum and we're doing this. It's like, I'm not sure that was their intention. And maybe it was, you know, but, but those conversations really help. I think everybody feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so our next question is about mixing unschooling with other homeschooling methodologies. Um, Basically, she's asking, can unschooling fit under the, like, eclectic homeschooling approach? Um, She loves picking and choosing the best parts of several different homeschooling philosophies rather than one ideology. She loves the idea of natural and directed learning, but wants to know how to use unschooling alongside of other philosophies such as Charlotte Mason, um, things like that. She describes her children sitting down for table and book work um, about one to two hours a day as she describes their day. And I think first, you know, I definitely would not worry about any kind of defining or labeling anyone (laughs) self. I I just, I don't really know that it has a point. Um, You know, I think do what works for your family. But what I will say is make sure it's really working for your family. Um, For me personally, if we just want to talk about the issue of curriculum, it's that it's one view of a subject and it's often very passive. So it creates the idea that one needs an expert or a workbook in order to learn. And that's just not true. (laughs) So, you know, over the course of our unschooling journey, we use tons of resources, but never once a workbook. The idea of sitting at a table and filling out a workbook to me is not unschooling. (laughs) It's not learning through exploring a passion. And it's really not even purposeful learning, you know, where you're really looking at some kind of, Ooh, I'm interested in, you know, the butterfly life cycle or this thing or whatever. And then things stem from there. I think that's one of the big differences. It's, you know, kids might do it because it's presented to them, but they're going to take that in as, okay, now I'm learning. I'm sitting at the table to do my learning. <laughs> and that's, that's a real danger, I think, because we're learning all the time at midnight, at five in the morning. And she talks about how they're doing science experiments and other things throughout the day. But there's still just a piece of that to kind of examine. You know, I think the sit down, fill something out is really comforting to parents. You know, I think especially, you know, starting out, it's like, look, they're doing work. They're doing school. We're doing this homeschooling thing. And so I get that. But I really would argue that kids do not organically want to spend hours at a table filling out workbooks or someone else's idea. Neither do adults. Like, I think you'd be hard pressed to find the person that really, truly, wants to do that with all other choices open to them. Um, But I think each family is different, you know, and so find your groove, you know, while this might be working great now, just be open to a time when maybe it won't. And if that time comes, observe if you're okay with that, or is it a trigger? Because I think that'll give you some good information that, yeah, no, we're just using this as it's serving us now, or nope, I'm triggered. I don't want them to stop this. 
And so then you can say, okay, maybe this is a little bit more about me than about them, but it may not be. So just, I'm just saying kind of keep that in mind. Um, she mentioned, you know, how they learn to read and do math through their workbooks and curriculum. And, you know, mine learned those things without that. And one of the things I found fascinating, I think I've talked about it before, but was how much of a better grasp of numbers and mathematics they had because they came at it their own way. I was excellent at math in school and all the advanced classes, you know, blah, blah, blah. I loved it. Um, but their understanding of numbers has always astounded me. <laughs> their ability to manipulate them and use them is so organic and it's easier. And what's interesting is had I jumped in and taught them the way I was taught and used a curriculum to do that because it's kind of the standard way, I think they would have lost that. <laughs> like there's a chance they might not have and, and even run the risk of them not enjoying math because the way I look at it, because the way I was taught is so different than the way their mind naturally wanted to go. So I think those are other things when she's asking, I don't understand, you know, that, that unschoolers are talking about. Like we've seen this natural development and you can say the same for reading because you've got whole world, whole word, excuse me, <laughs> and you have, you know, what is the other thing called phonics <laughs> have these different approaches. And what I found with my kids, I had one who was, uh, she has kind of a special memory. And so memorizing whole words was really helpful for her when she was learning to read. Now we didn't use any curriculum. I'm just observing like how she's doing it. Whereas what I found really for both of them is they actually use both things. Sometimes they're sounding things out. Sometimes they're memorizing words that they've seen in multiple places. And so if you were to get a reading curriculum, typically it's one way or the other, you know, <laughs> or it's at least somebody else's idea. And so I just think there's a lot of things to consider in this question because, you know, curriculum is, is, can be shiny and fun. If you like that, I like getting the pencils at the beginning of school and getting my new notebooks, <laughs> you know, but that's about me, you know, and it feels safe, but it really isn't organic learning and it's shifting the focus of learning away from the learner to a book, an expert, a third party. And it's so it's focusing on what the author feels is important about that subject. And what you and I both know, and I know you can speak to this too, is when we let our children explore a subject, they may find something totally different out of that same experience to focus and pull on. So it's this telling them what to look at versus watching what they look at, you know, and then going from there. But go ahead. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, that was great. That's, and I think the question boils down to like, isn't it okay as an eclectic homeschooling to mix self-directed sure. learning with teacher-directed learning, right? But that's what you were talking about. There is impact on the self-directed learning when you mix in some of that teacher stuff, some of that, even you know, the curriculum, the style, the way it's learning. Um, it, it, creates a hierarchy of learning, I think. Like, And this is implicit learning, right? You're not sitting there and telling them that, but they figure out the things that, you know, the, the math and the reading that you're teaching them with the curriculum and then the other stuff that you're doing, it's less important, right? you know, um, because I don't trust you to learn on your own this math stuff and this reading stuff. Um, 
or it's too hard for you to yeah. learn on your own. We need to use a curriculum, right? Those are can be very confusing, you know, mixed messages for them. And and they're soaking that in and they're saying, okay, you know, and then when they come across things in the world, you know, is this something I need to be taught how to do? Is right. this something I can learn on my own? And right. even by doing that, you know, you're still continuing, like you mentioned before, dividing the world into subjects. Right. And and you're losing that layer of interconnectedness, you know, the math and the patterns and the sewing and the math, the math and patterns that are everywhere in the world, you know, and the things that they do and the games that they play, you know, in everything. Um, But that's not math because it's not the math that they do at the table. Right. So it's it's defining things. And and. With unschooling, the, the question becomes, what is the value in labeling this math or in labeling this science? Because we're playing right. with science experiments. You know, we're doing the things. We're looking at the butterfly's life cycle, right? We're figuring out how to sew this, this pillow that I want to make. We're figuring out how to beat the boss in this next game, you know, and maybe that's literally a formula. <laughs> but it, right. it doesn't need to be labeled per se, Right. When you're in the moment and doing the thing and learning the things you need to know to get the thing accomplished that you're trying to do, those labels really um, don't add a lot of value. Um, they don't really add. And maybe value. distract even. Yeah. You know, they maybe they pull distract you out as well. Yes. Yeah. I think it pulls you out of the moment. And then, and then when you talked about, you know, she certainly talked about they're having fun and doing all this right now. Sure. The, the, the consequence can be though, like that's the perfect question. How do I feel about it if they start to resist? You know, if I start to need to convince them to come and sit down for that hour and do that curriculum work, that will, if I do that over a longer term, that's going to start to impact our relationship, right? They're going to feel more controlled. They're going to feel less free to make choices. And then they're going to also likely stop coming as often with their mm-hmm. questions, right? right? Because it'll be like, oh, mama will remind me I still have to finish my math. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't do well in the reading and she's not happy with me. I'm not going to, you know, and they start avoiding um coming to us with questions and conversations and, and unschooling suffers that way. Their learning in general suffers that way when um, coercion and power and, and those kind of dynamics start to creep into our relationships because we're no longer working together and learning together and learning isn't, you know, back to that hierarchy where this is the stuff that, that we have to learn this way and the rest of the stuff isn't as important and you can learn that on, on your own time. Right. I think, I think at the beginning there, you nailed it. That to me is the most interesting part of this, this question is why the need to label some of your day right. unschooling, right? So it would be so cool to ask yourself, what need would that satisfy? Like, would it, how would I feel if I said we use an eclectic mix of curriculum in the morning and they're free to play for the rest of the day? Yeah. You know, we get our schoolwork done in the morning and, and then they play. You know, how does that feel to say? Why does it need to be called unschooling? Because there are reasons why splitting it up and having some teacher directed stuff are going to get in the way of, of the unschooling, right? Because yeah. they're already going to, they're, they're thinking of it as play. 
versus learning. With unschooling, it's it's all learning, and all learning has value because they're interested in, not because it's related to math or related to reading and stuff. And it's without agenda, which I think is important because the other thing I think can happen, and it kind of on the heels of what you just said, is that if we're turning everything into a learning opportunity or we're grouping it into subjects, they don't come to ask about why is that butterfly look so strange on the thing because mom's going to then break out the butterfly kit and we're going to have to do the thing and do the thing. <laughs> like when really they just want to say, oh, maybe it's about to die or oh, its wings just opened up from the cocoon under there. See that? And then you move on. Yeah, like yeah. that's what loved about our experiences, we would dabble in those things. We'd answer questions, but it was never then becoming, you know, the learning or teaching moment. It was asking questions. And then that, they were so much more open and free to then come with all the questions. Yeah. You know, so they, you think it's like, but no, we're going to miss this opportunity. No, you're going to get so many more opportunities to interact and see what's catching their eye and see what they love. And again, it's just, it's this organic process and it's really the way that we do it as adults, you know, and I think that's something that I th- helps people sometimes when they're struggling with this because it makes perfect sense to them for adults to learn this way. But for some reason, they have a belief that children need to learn in a different way. And so I think just turn that around and say, do they really? What changes at 18, 19, 20, 30, 45? Because I'm not sitting down in the morning doing these things or, you know, I'm digging in and I'm learning new math skills or rehashing math skills that I knew long ago because I'm going to build a chicken coop or I'm going to, you know, I'm figuring out how to wire this chandelier that I'm in the process of making that will be disclosed soon, hopefully, <laughs> but it's, it, it, but that's learning for me. I'm figuring out the electricity of it and the whatever of it and that because it has value to me. That's unschooling. That's how we do it as adults. That's how kids do it too. That's how we all as humans want to learn. I know. And and eventually, you know, I, I was talking earlier to someone else about how my blog post would eventually always kind of end up with unschooling is life <laughs> because it is, it's how human beings learn. So that's why it's so challenging to only do it part-time. It right. doesn't, doesn't it, it's cool, and you can see your kids. I think that eventually, and, and even maybe that's part of the transition to unschooling, right? Yes. But eventually, when you deeply understand how it's working, um, you, you start to lose the, the need to control the other kinds of learning as well, right? Yes. Okay, so our next question actually connects back to the first question, I think, about unschooling with differing personalities. Um, Mom would like some ideas about how to manage an unschooling household when one of the parents is highly sensitive. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's back to that talking with your kids, right? Um, Not with an ultimate solution in mind that that I need to talk with them and convince them that I need this. But to hear their ideas, to brainstorm ideas together, but to bring your needs to the table, even when they're young. Her kids were on the younger side, I think, you know, four and a half and six and a half. But, you know, they can have some really cool ideas. Um, Setting up, we talked about earlier, about maybe not needing a whole room, but setting up a space, having a quiet or an uncluttered space um, for you. Uh, I remember talking to Erin Human on one of the podcast episodes and she talked about like some headphones 
or just earplugs um, for when you're feeling more overwhelmed that dampen the noise level, but don't, you can still have a conversation with them on, or maybe you've got rain going on in the background that just some nice, nice white noise that's soothing for you that cuts out the white noise of other things going on or cuts just the loudness level, the impact on you. You know, there are so many different things that you can kind of play around with. Even things like having like a code word with your kids Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's just some funny word that you say that just lets them know that you're starting to feel overwhelmed. And, you know, the bananas, I'm going to go make a cup of tea and go sit in my corner for for five minutes. I'm there if you need me kind of thing. You know, it's just it's what works for your family. So that's why chatting with them, it doesn't have to be long conversations, especially when they're younger. But just mentioning, oh, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed or or a a quiet activity. Do you think a quiet activity would go um well, you know, if I'm feeling the need, can we watch a movie or play blocks or do a puzzle? You know, what activities in your family does everybody enjoy that are quieter? Or I'm going to go do a puzzle. You're welcome to join me. You know, just having those kinds of conversations because then they're seeing you trying to work something out, noticing how you're feeling in certain situations, um, explaining it to them and coming up with ways that you might um, meet that need um, or help that challenge and they're seeing you do it for yourself and as well as seeing you react to their needs and interests and, and things they want yeah I mean I, I found the questions to be very similar too and the same type of things something that helped me um, is getting outside mm. so if things were getting kind of chaotic and loud and I was feeling a little sensory overwhelm just stepping outside feet on the ground walking amongst the trees even just for a couple minutes just whew, just really brought it down for me so that was helpful um, you know, other things to consider are, you know, swapping with a friend, play date at your house one day, play date at their house another day. That gives you a little bit of extra time and gives them some time or to get, you know, do something, get something done. Um, a mother's helper is another idea where, you know, you can then really tune out if you want to read a book or meditate or whatever, but you know, they've got somebody playing with them, somebody they enjoy that's fun. You know, for me, I just tried to ground myself in the chaos, find little moments where I could, you know, recharge and do. And that's what worked for me, kind of getting it in those little moments versus sometimes we're conditioned to think we need long stretches of time in order to recharge or it's a weekend or it's whatever that what didn't work for my family. So I would find the little moments, you know, and that I found that that was okay. And it helped me be present and enjoy those moments that we were having. Yeah, no, I love that because that's the other piece is, is we're so often conditioned that, that we need time to ourselves too to recharge right i for me i remember like when we were when they were running around at a park and and things were getting crazy and overwhelming and stuff pushing them on the swing was something yeah. very zen would you like to have a swing you know and just pushing them was repetitive and zen and i could just totally relax into it legos was another one i would suggest when i needed a little bit of downtime yeah. <laughs> And and we had a really cool like Lego table, just a wooden table, more their height, and that had edges. Rocco built oh, yeah. out of wood. It had edges, so the Legos weren't constantly falling on the floor, right? <laughs> um, but I would sit there, and and I'd be the Lego taker or parter. 
<laughs> that was that yeah. was my role because you know they they would have their their imaginative play with the things that they built and everything and I would sit there and happily take all the stuff apart that they no longer wanted so they had more pieces for what they were building and it was yeah. just again you know kind of zen and relaxing and repetitive for me and I'm still with them but I'm I'm recharging at the same time yes yes yeah, I love that Okay, so next question. Da, 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 da. Okay, so this is a mom that's just starting out, and she asks, do unschooled kids learn reading, writing, and math, and how does it compare to traditional school and how, what they're learning in that regard? Um, or if they only want to play video games all day, are they permitted to do so? And she asked if they are allowed to follow their bliss and their bliss is to sit and be lazy, then what? <laughs> so, um, well, I, my first thought was, well, sometimes my bliss is to sit <laughs> but, um, but it's, uh, and relax, but I, lazy really isn't a word I would ever use. But, um, but we do live in a culture that really values busy, and I challenge people to really examine that. Because how is that playing out in our culture in the stress levels, the illness, the anxiety, this value of busy, it's just, it, it's interesting to just step back from that because we think busy means you're productive. Busy means you're doing something of value. You're this, you're that. And the question is, is it really, you know, so anyway, that's kind of an aside from this question, but I think it's a, it's an important question to consider. Um, as for, do they learn to read and write and do math? Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, we are learning creatures. Words are everywhere. Math is everywhere. <laughs> Writing, while less popular now in the age of computers, you know, it still comes in handy. So I think what you see is that kids want to participate in community. They want to be a part of this world with us. So they want to understand what do these words mean? How do these, what's hat? What is this? How do you know that? Well, I know that because I read this or we'd see this and we talk about it and math. It's a baking, it's sewing, it's making a garden, it's building a chicken coop. It's doing whatever the things are in your environment. Math is so handy. I mean, the purpose of math is it helps us do things, you know? So I think what, frustrates me about school is that it takes these things, reading, writing, and math, and separates them from the world. You know, so you'll have kids in school, why do I have to learn this? That is never a question that an unschooler asks because they're learning it for a specific purpose. You know, they want to sew this cosplay costume. So they're trying to figure out how much fabric do I need and how much is that going to cost? And what about this? And I've got to add this trim. How much trim am I going to need if it's got this? You know, so all of those things. And you can say, well, this is a cool formula that will help you figure that out. Well, of course I want to know this. It makes sense. So you never have this separating. And the same with reading. So you have to read this book, this whatever, and it becomes reading becomes drudgery. But when you're unschooling and you're in the real world, reading is fabulous <laughs> because it's giving you information, be it information about reading at the train station on how to get somewhere, or it's diving into a historical book because it's giving you information about this thing you want or, you know, whatever the case may be. So 
that's one of the beauties and gifts I think of unschooling is just this love of learning is there because it's so useful. (laughs) It's really is. And I'm just going to say we have a lot of resources about video games out there. So I'm not really going to rehash that, but, um, but just to say that video games are amazing. The art, the story, the challenges, the puzzles, they require quick thinking, cooperation, puzzle solving, critical thinking, so many things. So maybe learn a bit more about video games if your kids are interested in that. Listen to some other things on Pam's site. And I think you'll find it's quite complex. And actually, most parents are not able to keep up at all <laughs> with what's happening with video games. So I'm just going to throw that out there, but Pam. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't have too much to add. Definitely unschooled kids learn all that stuff. I, I think what trips them up and, and you did such a beautiful job of describing what it looks like with unschooling because learning those things doesn't look the same as it does in school. Right. So I think that's kind of what trips people up as they're new to unschooling and they're trying to figure out how this might work. How does it compare to school, right? It looks very different. In fact, you know what? I'll link to the three. I did three blog posts many years ago on those three topics because, you know, (laughs) those are, you know, the three basic things, right? And and how does that look with unschooling and how does does it look different? Um, So I'll link to those in the show notes as well. Same with the video games. We'll put some links in there, you know, and following their bliss to sit and be lazy. I I love what you said about the word lazy and our focus on productivity. When we talk about coming to unschooling and really hanging out with your kids and seeing what they're doing and giving it time, you know, six months, a year to, to just sink into it, you will start to see that those so-called lazy moments really have so much value. Maybe they're decompressing from some sort of challenging or stressful thing that went on and it's just like a reset. Maybe they're processing stuff that's going on and and there'll be a quiet time of a week or two or a couple of days or a month and they'll come out you know, all yes. of a sudden they're talking about different things. They're, they're bringing out these insights. They put stuff together there that you had no idea. That was one of my biggest surprises when we moved to unschooling was how much downtime they would choose to have. How much time was swinging on the swing, listening to music, was walking around, was laying on the couch, was doing repetitive quiet things that they that they knew that would look lazy from someone conventionally looking in but really really weren't uh, seeing the value in that supposedly unproductive time it it really is so valuable right so i want to say something along this line and i'm not sure this analogy will work for everybody but um with labor and delivery when you're having a baby, (laughs) there's this kind of conventional idea that you are in labor like this, you know, that you're just going to keep going. So if you're not progressing at this certain way, we're going to do something or we're going to change or we're going to whatever. But the reality of like a natural birth when women are having it, it's like, you know, like you jump along and that's exactly what happens with our kids because I've seen it too. And you've talked about it in other forums 
But, you know, so there'll be this kind of down quiet time and then there's this leap, you know, suddenly. And when they're younger, it would be, you know, from they're just down quiet time, doesn't even seem to be related to anything. And then suddenly they're reading this game that they, you know, weren't reading two weeks ago or they're this new concept that you're thinking, wow, where did this come from? That's just mulling. And, and, And it's not even necessarily conscious. I think sometimes it is, but sometimes I think it's just the way the brain is like taking in all these new things and then making sense of it and coming. So it's it's leaps versus this. And I think school tries to do this. <laughs> we're going to learn a new thing each day and we're going to add and add and add. And that is not the way real learning works, you know? I mean, it's just you take things in, you step back, you leap forward. And I found it fascinating and fun to watch just as a curious person, you know, to just watch it all unfold. Oh, yeah. No, I love that analogy. That's such a great point, too. I remember my labors. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's a great way to describe the difference um, between the way school is expecting learning to look very step by step by step linear progression. Um, Learn this little bit today, this little bit tomorrow, this little bit. And that's really not how it works, you know, and that's not kids in school can't do it that way either. You know what no. I mean? Um, Cause that's just not how our brains work. Okay. So our next question is about older unschoolers. Um, basically the kids are all middle school age now with the eldest hitting high school age next year. And the question is how do unschoolers get a high school diploma or do they? And if not, how does college fit in? So really, we're, we're back to choice again, right? It really depends on, on where they're going, um, what, their, what their aspirations are, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, it's great that the question, it's a question whether or not a high school diploma is needed, right? And, and it also completely depends on the regulations in where you live, <laughs> your state or your province. You know, some homeschooling families can issue a diploma, you know, um, others may, I don't know, may, may use an umbrella if, and if there's a need for a high school diploma. So many colleges and universities now have homeschooling admission policies, you know, because they know they, they want these kind of kids who are still excited about learning, still eager to learn and know what they're interested in learning about, right? They're so often much more engaged at the college level. So they're starting to create policies so that they can get in with the kind of background that they have. And so maybe a high school diploma isn't even needed. You can just go in and take a few courses at a college level, maybe as a younger student, you know, 16, 17, take a few, and then you've got a little bit of a record there and then you can get in that. There's like so many ways. So there's not one answer to any of those questions and there isn't even an answer to a need for any of those. Like it depends. It really depends on the individual. It depends on where you live. It depends on what they're trying to accomplish. You know, maybe they do want to do some end up needing a high school diploma for whatever degree they want in the state where you live. And so maybe they do some distance learning or online learning to get like, maybe they just need some grade 12 courses to, to get in. You know, it's really uh, not a question with one particular answer, but it's, it's wonderful fodder for conversations with your kids. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I just wanted to throw out a resource that we can put in the notes, but I think Blake Bowles book college without high school is a nice start too, because he really talks about, it's interesting because the book is written for teens and even for teens that are in school on why they need to get out because it's better to get into college. And it's just for the reasons Pam said, because colleges love unschoolers and self-directed learners because they want to be there and they have this self-motivation that is so key to being successful in college. So college is not an issue, but keeping in mind that that's just one path, you know, that it, college is not necessarily the best path for everyone. So kind of keeping open to that. And for the diplomas, absolutely. It's based on where you live is a big piece of it. I mean, one, do you even need it? But two, you know, North Carolina, I'm in Virginia now, but North Carolina is where my kids grew up and we were considered private schools. So we actually did issue the diplomas. And I do just want to say at this point, I mean, I have a personal belief, research it for yourself, but I don't think that GEDs are necessary for homeschoolers and unschoolers. And I think it can be counterproductive because that tends to be what people do that drop out of school, get the GED and that's fine. But our unschooled and homeschooled children have completed their school. So it's a different, it's a different view. And so they, and so I would research that a little bit. If you're looking at that, if you're wanting some kind of other piece, I also love the idea of that dual enrollment is what they called it. And actually both this state and North Carolina, where you do some community college and you get that little bit. And then that helps, you know, sometimes you can then opt out of other classes in college if that's your choice. But um, again, college, just one path, but also, and just for everybody, ask your local groups, these questions, because sometimes that can be really helpful as to how people did it in your locality. And they'll understand your laws a little bit more because it's so different. And we have people from all over the world, you know, listening. Yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, again, back to, back to the kids and what they want to do and what they're trying to accomplish, you know, what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to accomplish, you know, because, and, and because sometimes when we start thinking about that more conventional side, all of a sudden that's all we see, right? Okay. If they want to go to college, well then, (laughs) then we need this high school transcript and we need, or, or maybe we need this GED or whatever, you know, it, it's not about putting requirements on them before they're discovered as actual, like (laughs) there can be so many ways to work around and and to, to get through things rather than even just stated policies. Right. And, and, and when your kid and you have these conversations and do this research and find these things, it's just exciting. And it helps everyone just narrow in on which way they might want to do it because there are always multiple ways to do things. Yes, absolutely. It's just a good just thing to talk about and keep yeah. open. Um, okay, so our last question today is about allowance and money. So this mom has um, toyed with the idea of giving her kids a weekly allowance with no strings attached. Um, her oldest is six, and she feels like it might make handling their requests for things easier, though then she wonders that would still leave the question of spending money on things that they want beyond that, so maybe not. She's not sure. And what about offering to pay for work they do around the house? Might that lead to them only wanting to help if they get paid? So she just has a lot of really rich, interesting questions, I think, about, you know, money and how that flows in a family and how to work out with the kids. So, um, you know, this is one of those things where I feel like there are so many possibilities. (laughs) Um, You know, it's so unique, I honestly think, to each individual family. Um, 
we did when my kids were pretty young, give them a very small allowance. I mean, it was something like five bucks a week and it actually stayed like that forever. Like I know some people make it bigger or whatever, but they just enjoyed having that pocket change. And it was funny because one of them just spent it instantly every time that was what she wanted to do. And the other one just saved everything. (laughs) And so, but they were learning like about their styles and about what they wanted to do. And so they found that really interesting, but it never really had a lot of energy with us. Um, we personally didn't have a lot of issues with many requests. We just kind of handled things as they came in and followed our interests and that type of thing. If it was something big like a gaming console or maybe a trip that we wanted to take as a family, we definitely, you know, we just were very open about our finances. We talked about it together. Okay, so we want to take this trip, you know, in January. What do we want to do about Christmas? What do we want to do about these things? We have a lot of birthdays around that time of year. Do we want to use the big trip as that? You know, here are we things, that kind of thing. So we would just talk very openly about our finances, how we were making choices to spend money, how, you know, that type of thing. Um, we never paid for work around the house. Um, we didn't have chores. So, you know, I think that just never really, I don't know, that whole idea just never really fit for us. Um, I guess I wanted to foster an environment of just living together, you know, helping each other, tackling things together as we could or needed or whatever. And I feel like money might change that dynamic some and just didn't really make sense for our family. Um, we did choose to set aside money in a fund for them. And somehow that made it easier for us budget wise and thinking about things like, okay, this is money for gymnastics or, you know, those type of things and made those decisions different and easier maybe. But that, you know, again, I think it's so specific to family. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm going to hand it off to Pam, but I just want to say, I think the person that wrote the question is asking some really great questions. You know, I feel like that process of her examining like how does it feel to her how does she think it'll feel to them and coupled with talking to the kids and kind of opening up those discussions I think they'll get pretty quickly to something that feels good to all of them yeah exactly it, it really is it is so individual and they're wonderful questions to ask and they're wonderful questions to play with Yes. You know? So it, it is, it is chatting with them. You know, if we did a little bit of allowance, I'm thinking, what do you think would, would that kind of cover? That would give you some money in your pocket so that, you know, you, when we're out and about and you want to pick up a, a, a little toy or, or a candy bar or an apple or, you know, whatever it is, you don't have to come and ask, you know, even though, you know, um, their parents going to, more than likely say yes or whatever it gives them it's also you know a chance okay then they can go pay for it It, it's a little if if that's something that they're interested in right right that can feel very empowering it can give them the opportunity this is this is my money i'm gonna pay for it i'm gonna you know get my change it's all really exciting but again it depends on the individual maybe maybe that's not something they're interested in doing at all maybe they don't mind coming to say hey mom can we get this as well you know that's why it's interesting to talk to them about it I mean, we did allowances for a while, too, and sometimes we we gave out cash that they kept. Sometimes we, for a while, we kept track of their amounts on, like, the calendar. Um, 
you know, you have this much kind of in, in the bank, in our bank. We And as soon as they were kind of old enough, which was quite young, they got bank accounts for themselves yeah. too, right? So they had their card and they looked online and there was converse, always conversations about it. So like you said, uh, we did for a while when if they wanted something bigger, um, you know, and it was something, they wanted something bigger and they wanted to pay for it themselves and they wanted ways to make some money faster. Um, we came up with, found a few things. Like they, we didn't use regular chores per se, right? But if there was some stuff around the house, it's like, hey, you know, I would like that wood moved or something, something that, you know, maybe I would hire somebody to do at some point, you know, or, or that would have value for me. Like in our conversation, you know, it would be really valuable to me um, to pay to have that done right now, you know, and, and help them. It, and I think that's something you watch for in your conversations. Is it getting to a point where it becomes an expectation that things will be paid for? Because, you know, really for us, it was only ever around a certain thing that maybe they were saving for. You know what I mean? It didn't become an ongoing thing because I wasn't comfortable with it becoming an ongoing expectation, but I was comfortable figuring out ways for them to feel like they earned more money for this because I wanted to pay it. It's just, you know, you know what I mean? So it, it was really interesting. And, and our allowances just kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because when we were having lots of conversation, I just found as we moved to unschooling, naturally the requests for things kind of, kind of went away because they started to feel so supportive, supported. And they knew that if we could help them get something they wanted to accomplish, something they wanted to do, that we would do that. So they didn't have to ask for a whole bunch of things just to get something. They knew, so so they didn't have to ask for like five things so that maybe we'd say yes once or twice. They could just like ask for stuff they really want because they knew we'd say yes if we could. And if we couldn't, that it would still be a yes, but, you know, let's figure out how, you know, as, as you were talking about trips and Christmas and everything, it's like, okay, like what, what is it that we're really wanting to do here? And how does, how will that work for us in the bigger picture of things? You know, there were, there were Christmases where we hardly did anything, you know, and then as we were talking about before birthdays, you know, where, where it's like, okay, you know what? trying to come up with a list to give to the grandparents was like, okay, exactly. we need to ask for, you know, because we're not waiting for these moments to, to spend the money. Um, and, and it's, and again, it's completely within our budget. I mean, I'll link to, I, I have unschooling on a budget, a podcast episode where we talked about that because it, it is so um, personal for the family and their circumstances. And there's so many ways to do things and to accomplish things and to pursue interests that don't need to take a lot of money. Right. So it's really just how your family um wants to pursue this thing. And again, conversations for the individuals and the people that are involved and, and what they'd like to do with money, how they'd like to learn about money and play. And, you know, now we're talking about investing and stuff because our kids are older and these are the kinds of questions and things that we're talking about. Um, you know, so it's interesting and they're great questions, but they're just, you know, how you see it. And I, I think the open conversations make it feel less arbitrary. I'm wondering if that's yeah. part of the 
moving to unschooling that changes the asking dynamic that she's mm-hmm. talking about because we're talking about how we make the choices with money and, and how, what money we have. And what, and so it's not this arbitrary, I'm going to them, they're going to say yes or no. I don't know why they're going to say yes or no, but they're going to say yes or no, you know, versus these are how we're making the decisions. Here's what we have to pay each month. Here's the things we're thinking about. Like we just, you know, and my husband is in finance. So he's, this is kind of his big thing. So he really likes to open communication about that, like really talking about, you know, if you save money now, you're going to have a lot of money later. <laughs> like he talked and shows them the charts and the things because, you know, that's his belief and, and what he's seen play out for him is like saving money when you're young. It makes it so much easier when you're older. And so these are just open conversations that we've had. And so this is kind of unrelated, but I feel like I want to say this every time this comes up and I've said it before, but um, having kids that have now kind of moving on one out in an apartment, that what Pam talked about getting them their own accounts very early, I think is super helpful. And also what we found is them having their own credit card and you can get, and it may be different in different countries, obviously, but um, you can get credit cards that are secured. And so once they've been paid it for a period of time, then it becomes unsecured, but it gives them this credit history. And also if they are, if you put them on one of your credit cards, um, and it can be a side credit card or whatever, that that goes onto their credit report. And so then when they go to get an apartment, they have a credit score. And what we found is even when they didn't have a lot of income, they had this great credit score and were able to then get an apartment without us having to co-sign and things like that. So there are some things, I guess I wish people we had talked to me more about that. <laughs> like when my you know kids were at that middle school, high school age, because it was just really helpful. And luckily we had done some of those things already. But, you know, now looking back, there are some things that make it a little bit easier for them. So I think these conversations about finance and spending money and saving money are just really valuable. And they don't talk about it in school either. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's one of the beauties of being home in a family and working together is we can have these kind of real world important conversations. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and that's one of the things I wanted to mention, um, again, and I think I mentioned it the last time we did a Q and A, but that's why we, you know, we, we talked every, uh, every answer here was, you know, have these conversations, have these conversations. And our, our Q and A conversations here aren't about giving anyone a right answer. There isn't a right answer, right? It's about contemplating the situation, asking the questions, you know, so many of them are asking great questions. These are wonderful questions to be asking yourself. So playing around with the perspectives, you know, maybe we can see things differently. Um, thinking about what might be lying underneath the questions, you know, what need are we satisfying if we want to go in this direction? So for me, I feel like we're, we're more like tilling the soil around the topic of, of the question. Maybe we're pulling up a rock or two, maybe, you know, a different way, different lighting, you know. Maybe, hey, what about this little crevice in here? What, what is this doing for you? So it's with an eye to helping the people who are asking the question um, to see what comes up for them when they're hearing how we're looking at things, uh, different ways we might con- uh, suggest they look at things. And, and back to their unique family, how might that look? in their unique family with their unique personalities? How are we going to, you know, maybe uh, 
find ways to move through this challenge together, you know, whether they're individual personalities or whether they're different things that they want to accomplish or whatever the challenges that comes up. It's not ever about having a right answer. You know, even when you're, when you're fresh on schooling or whether you've been doing it for 10 years, right? The great thing about these conversations is just kind of, it's, it's the inspiration for the brainstorming, the fresh look at things, right? So I want to thank you so much, Anna, for joining me to do that. Yeah, you're welcome. I love doing it. I love that we always have so much fun. Yes, we do. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. Yep. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to pick up your free copy of my book, What is Unschooling? In it, we'll explore some of the common questions people have when they first hear about unschooling, like how will my child learn? How do I know they're learning? What is de-schooling? And how do I get started? It's also available at many online ebook retailers. And if you'd like to connect online, you can find me on Facebook at Living Joyfully. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.